so today we want to launch from a familiar text um, uh, that talks about our mind. So turn with me, if you will, Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. From the English Standard Version, you'll find these words, you'll find these words. Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal, the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We praise God and thank God for God's word on today. We pray that it'll find a place deep in your hearts and that it will bear fruit in your life. Listen, for the time that we have together today, <clears throat> I want to look at uh, this particular text and consider the topic, mind management. Mind management. Mind management. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach us that we are to love the Lord our God with all that we are, with our hearts, our souls, our bodies, and yes, our minds. When we decide to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and are baptized into the family of God, our allegiance shifts and our lives become a kingdom affair. Every area of our lives are called to have the impression of the Spirit of God so that the power of God can be revealed in and through us. Yet, for many of us, uh, that change only partially takes place because what, what I've discovered is that we've oversimplified following Jesus to church membership, to worship attendance, and to putting a few dollars in the offering plate. These are important parts of the process, yes, but Jesus calls for his disciples to be a radical, uh, to a radical relationship of total commitment that changes what we think about what we, uh, what we know about how God works and what it means to be intimately connected to God along with how this relationship with God should influence every area of our lives. And at some juncture, we have been misguided into the uh, application of worldly principles to kingdom affairs. We, we try to use the mindset of the world to manage kingdom affairs of our lives. We might not admit it to anyone else, but even the most disciplined, best intentioned of us can at times try to outthink and outreason around the standard of the kingdom that God has set for us. Instead of trusting what God says, we can easily begin to manage the matters of the kingdom with the mindset of the world, not recognizing that these two entities have two different priorities. Using worldly minds to manage kingdom matters causes a disconnect in our discipleship. When we bring, to, when we bring the mind of the world to handle the matters of the kingdom, we start to treat Jesus as a supervisor and not as a savior. When we bring the mind of the world to handle matters of the kingdom, we treat God as just a CEO and not as our creator. When we bring the mind of the world to handle the matters of, of the kingdom, the church looks and behaves like a social organization instead of a spiritual organism. 
when we bring the mind of the world to matters of the kingdom, people become dispensable stepping stones instead of God-crafted souls. When we bring the mind of the world to matters of the kingdom, what we focus, we focus on what we want uh, instead of what others need. It is a dangerous proposition to attempt to carry out the mission of the kingdom with the mindset and the methodology of a world that is self-centered, self-gratifying, self-indulgent, and self-absorbent because the mandate of the kingdom is that we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. And as disciples of Christ, our response to all that God has done for us should be a life that is a committed to the cause and the mission of Christ. And that begins with managing our minds. This is how Paul opens chapter 12 of the book of Romans, which, takes a ter- which marks the turn in this letter to these Christians in Rome. In chapters 1 through 11 of, of, Roman, of the Roman letter, Paul has outlined the work of God to reconcile the relationship between God and humans. And after outlining the path that God has laid out for our humanity to be reconciled to relationship with God, Paul's attention turns to explaining how God's grand plan of reunification and restoration should impact the life of the Christ followers. In other words, there is a particular response, there is a particular way uh, that should come out of the knowledge of all that God has done for us. So Paul says in our text, uh, I appeal to you, brothers, I but therefore, in view of God, God's mercy. The whole plan of salvation through Christ was a product of the mercy and the compassion of God. God's desire to restore us to the place of intimate relationship with God uh, while we still live here on earth. This is the big picture of what God has done for us. We were enslaved by sin. Then a holy God through Jesus Christ opened up a pathway that allows us to be freed from the bondage of sin and to experience the freedom that comes from being connected to an all-powerful God. And y'all, we rightfully get excited when reflecting on the movement of God in, on, and through our lives to redeem us and to restore us. We shout, we holler, we cry, we wave our hands, but it should not stop there. The greatest response is not just the emotional response that we feel in response to what God has done, but the greatest response to what God has done for us should show up in how we live our lives. Because of the mercy of God, Paul says we should offer our bodies to God as an act of a worship. The word translated to English as body in the text relates to the physical body and the experiences of everyday life. In these verses and throughout chapter 12, Paul draws attention to the root of our misguided response. It is our minds. We understand our minds to be the starting point of all of our thoughts, feelings, and actions. And this is similar to the way that the mind was defined in Paul's context. This further helps us to understand what Paul is saying in, ver- saying in the text in verse 1. He points to the fact that we should be responding to God's mercy with true and proper worship, with spiritual worship. The Greek word used here connects spirituality and rationality. In other words, the service we offer unto the Lord, the ministry we offer towards God and on behalf of God should be intentional. It ought to be spiritual. It should be thoughtful. It should be rational. It rational and it should be reasonable service, as the King James says. The message version of the Bible says it like this. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for God. 
And so in verse 2, Paul is more explicit in describing the kind of mind that we should have in response to what God has done. And he uses the word renewed to describe the process by which the mind is managed to see the standard of true worship in verse 1. We are called to an intentionality of thought in verse 1, and that happens as a product of the renewing of the mind made possible by the mercy of God. Paul teaches, Paul teaches us then that to follow Christ doesn't mean to cease our thinking, but following Christ means to change our thinking. You ought to type that in the comments. Following Christ doesn't mean to cease our thinking, to stop our thinking, to put our brains on the back burner, but following Christ means to change our thinking, to manage our minds in a way that brings God glory. At some point in time, our excitement and our uh, gratefulness about what God has done should translate into a life that is committed to a God who did it. When we take the time to think about what God has done, it should lead not to us just shouting and clapping our hands and, uh, and, 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 and crying tears of joy, but it should also lead to us altering the priorities of our lives so that God moves from just in the mix to the center of all that we do. Managing our minds is an important part of helping us to maintain our commitment to the Lord because our commitment to God is a choice we have to make every day. Y'all, we have to do, as the song says, decide to follow Jesus. Uh, we have, may have a million thoughts, but we control which ones we respond to and which ones we give power and as the scripture suggests, the way to managing our minds in any circumstances is to think on that which is true. Think on that which is noble and praiseworthy and trustworthy and honorable. This is how we move towards renewing our minds and managing them for the glory of God. If we respond every day with a renewed mind to follow Christ, then our thoughts, our actions, our feelings, our desires, and our behaviors will be ones that glorify God more and more with each passing day. This is the challenge of our text, to make our focus on managing our minds so that we can be faithful in our living and service unto the Lord. And so managing our minds requires that we engage our intellect, which leads to us living in a way that is totally committed uh, to Christ and allows the power of God to be fully at work within us. Uh, so then, what are the components of mind management? I'm glad you asked. Three, uh, three components I think the text gives us today. Uh, first, the first component we find in verse 1, the first component, component of mind management is consistent dedication. Somebody ought to type that, consistent dedication, consistent dedication. In verse 1, Paul tells us that we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God as an act of worship. During the days of the Old Testament, everyone was required by Mosaic law to bring forth their best sacrifice to offer unto God, either as an act of gratitude or as an acknowledgement of sin. Paul says to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. But we know that according to custom, sacrifices that have been offered unto God are generally dead when they hit the altar. Paul is calling us then to respond to the mercy of God by sacrificing our lives in order to gain life. That's right. We have to do as Paul suggests and die to ourselves that we might gain life in Christ. Being living sacrifices means that every day 
we wake up and we make the decision to follow Christ and we allow that decision to drive, that decision in our minds to drive our actions and to allow Christ to live in us. And so throughout his letter, Paul talks about dying to self and allowing the spirit of God to guide us. This is important because if we don't die daily, if we don't crucify our flesh, if we don't uh, leave our desires behind, then we leave an opening for sin to regain control of our lives and to cause us to bring shame to the name of Christ. Uh, recently, as I was scrolling uh, through social media, as we closed out 2021, I came across the post of a pastoral colleague who has been on a weight loss journey. I've been secretly tracking him uh, over the course of this year. As every day he's posting that he's in the gym and he's working out and he's meal prepping and doing what he uh, had doing what he had to do because last year, New Year's Eve, in New Year's Eve 2020, uh, he didn't like what he saw in the mirror, and so he decided to make some changes. And when he posted his picture on New Year's Eve 2021. He had lost 50 pounds. He's looking much better, feeling much healthier, and he credited this to consistent dedication. He said that it was more about the discipline and the dedication that allowed him to drop the weight, and he posted a quote that essentially said that it wasn't about the journey, but it was about the discipline. And it's, y'all, it's the same way in our spiritual walk with God. We have to discipline ourselves and, and start with disciplining our minds to place our lives on the altar every day with the spirit of Christ that says, not my will, but your will, God, be done. To be all that God calls us to be, we must dedicate ourselves to God and sacrifice our minds and our lives to God every day. We know that Christianity is a belief system that is marked uh, by this kind of give and take. Much of what is required of us as Christians causes us to give up something. It was Jesus that essentially asked the rich young ruler in the Gospel of Mark to show uh, his dedication and commitment by selling all of his possessions giving the money to the poor and following him. This was too much for the young man, and despite his impassioned speech about wanting to follow the Lord and desiring uh, to be a disciple of the Lord, he turned and walked away because he was too comfortable with his privilege, too comfortable with his riches, and wasn't willing to give them up so that he could have a better and more engaged life with Jesus Christ. And y'all, I want to let you know today uh, that his issue is similar to the issue that we face, uh, and that is that we are only willing to sacrifice up to the point that it doesn't inconvenience us or disrupt our lives. Yeah, let me say that one more time and maybe in a different way. We are only willing to sacrifice only up to the point that it doesn't make us uncomfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We like resting on our laurels, resting in our tradition, resting in what we're used to, resting uh, in our routines and our habits, even if those routines and habits are moving us away from what our intended desire and our target is. Yet Jesus says that we have to show forth our dedication by giving and placing our, our whole life in his hands. And this is what Paul means by imploring us to place our desires, our wants, and our needs, even our comfort areas in our lives on the altar of sacrifice. The show of dedication to Christ is to allow him to have complete control over every nook and cranny, over every second, every minute, and every hour 
hour in every day of our lives. Y'all, the message translation says it like this, that we ought to take our everyday, ordinary, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. We've got to give it up and give up control unto the Lord so that God can guide us, God can lead us, so that God can give us the thoughts that we need and help us to manage our minds in a way that will bring us, bring him uh, glory. We have to make up our minds about what we want. Do we want to live lives that are just good enough, that are just mediocre, where we're just surviving as we talked about on New Year's Eve, or do we want to live lives that are, that are in the midst of a God experience, that we are thriving, that we make every day, that makes every new day feel like the as exciting as the anticipation of a new year. Y'all, the bottom line is that God wants it all, and we have to make a decision because God wants it all, especially our minds, because if God can get in our thoughts, if God can get in our dreams, if God can get in our desires, then the Spirit of God can transform our whole lives. Yeah, the Spirit of God can get in our minds. God can transform our whole life, but we have to be constantly and consistently dedicated to placing our minds before God and managing them in the way that God would have us to do. Uh, mind management, yes, is first about uh, consistent dedication, but it's also about constant development. It's about constant development. Type that in the text, constant development. Paul, Paul in the second verse of chapter 12 continues to describe the means by which our minds are renewed. He writes that instead of trying to fit in uh, to the way of the world, that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Yeah. Uh, transformation is a process by which the changes that take place on the inside will be manifested on the outside. Y'all, we're talking about sanctification. That's a big theological word, sanctification. It's a process. Uh, that's the key word in understanding this work of transformation, that it is uh, a process. It takes time for our hearts and our minds to be changed and for those changes to show up in the externalities of our existence. Uh, for those who are newly converted to the faith or seeking to reestablish their relationship with God, it can be hard when all you hear about uh, is all about is this change that knowing Jesus is supposed to bring into your life. And y'all, I have to say that too often the church has been guilty of promoting Jesus as a quick fix savior that will automatically change everything in your life. And yes, Jesus is able to do it immediately and suddenly uh, for us, but more often than not, the change that changes that need to be wrought in us come through a process. They come over time and they come as we avail ourselves to the work and the leading and the guiding of the spirit in our our lives. Yes, the change that comes is a wonderful change, but the change only happens as much as we make ourselves available to the power of the Spirit. Just because you read two verses of Scripture twice a year don't, won't cut it. Uh, having a prayer life that doesn't extend beyond saying grace over a meal won't do it. Being a Christmas, Mother's Day, New Year's Eve, and Easter Christian won't change anything in our lives. Having a renewed mind and experiencing
experiencing the transformation that comes from being intimately engrafted into the family of God is a process. It's a process that doesn't end until we're caught up to meet Christ when he returns. None of us are finished products. All of us still need some work from the youngest to the oldest, from the pulpit to the place where you're sitting right now. Uh, God is still wants to shape you. God still wants to mold you. God still wants to form you into the image of Jesus Christ. And as long as there is breath in our bodies, we should be willing to open ourselves up to the transformative developmental work of God in our lives. Yeah, the process of development is not something we impose on ourselves. It's not something that starts with us. The implication of the text is that the originator of the process of transformation is God. Yeah, the transformation starts with the, by the initiation of God. Yes, the text also suggests to us, it also suggests to us that we must be willing participants in the process in order for the work of God to continue to uh, continue in our lives. In other words, like we said uh, the other night, God will do God's work, but we can't trust God to do God's work and our work. We have to do our work, which is committing to being constantly dedicated, consistently dedicated, and constantly developing ourselves uh, so that God can get the glory out of our lives. Unfortunately, there are times when this process becomes uncomfortable or painful or when the transformation, transformative work of God gets challenging for us. We have to, we want to press pause when it gets uncomfortable. We want to stop our participation when it gets hard. We're cool with God working as long as it's beneficial for us and doesn't compel us to make drastic changes in our lives. But as soon as the word of God calls us out in our mess, as soon as the word of God does, as the writer of Hebrew decides, cuts like a two-edged sword, dividing bone from marrow and spirit from soul, as soon as the word of God gets a hold on us, we start to disengage. We stop coming to church. We quit uh, praying. We let our devotional life slack, not realizing that God, all God is doing is working to get the junk out of our lives so that we can be better for the kingdom of God. We can't mature spiritually without God poking and prodding our lives. We can't develop into maturity in our spiritual walk if we only allow God into the places where we are comfortable. That's the issue now, y'all. I think we got too many Christians that are comfortable. We've got too many disciples that are complacent. we got too many folks that want to hijack the word of God in order to confirm their biased, incomplete, and immature version of Christianity. But what God is looking for, what the church needs more of, and what the world needs to see is people who are in constant development as disciples of Jesus Christ. We ought to strive to be people who don't let hurt feelings get in the way of our process of transformation. In fact, our goal should be not to let discouragement or discomfort deter our development. We should aim to be disciples that don't let hard times hinder the changes that God is working out in us. Our goal as believers in Jesus Christ is that God would do whatever God has to do in our lives so that we can become more and more like Jesus. Our daily prayer should be, God, work on me. I'm not worried about everybody else. I'm not thinking about what they're doing over there because I got enough mess in my life that I need you to work on me. Every day, God, work on me. Point out my faults. Work on my mind so I can think your thoughts. Work on my heart so I can love like you love. 
Work on my mouth so I can speak your words. Work on my eyes so I can see what you see. Have your way with my life, God. I need you to work on me. Yeah, yeah, you ought to put that in the comments right now in, in all capital letters. Work on me, God. Work on me. If we're going to manage our minds, we're going to need God to work on us. I'm going to need God to work on me, and you're going to need God. Uh, to work on you. Mind management requires of us consistent dedication. It requires of us constant development. Uh, and finally today, mind management requires of us conscious discernment. Yeah, conscious discernment. As we check the text, in the closing phrase of verse number two, Paul says that once uh, Paul says that uh, once we uh, have to, once we have decided to be consistent in our dedication and constant in our development, then we will be able to test and approve God's will. Yeah, to prove God's will is to discern what it is that will please God that is not driven solely and simply by a list of rules, but because of our relationship that exists with God. Y'all, checking a list of rules to see if we are doing it right or wrong doesn't lend to a connection with the one who makes the rules. Because as the old saying goes, y'all, rules are made to be broken. Yeah. And breaking the rules creates a separation between the one who made the rules and the one uh, who helped uh, to create the rules to guide us. This, uh, this is the issue that is created by the Mosaic Law. Because it becomes a checklist for us. It becomes a checklist for the people of Israel. Uh, the people look to the law as their God instead of looking to God as their God. To know the heart of God comes through being in relationship with God. So Jesus came to remove that barrier. And now, as transformation manifests in our lives, we can discern what it is that God requires and desires of us as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is that while we may be in the process of transformation with God and developing the mind of Christ, we live in a world that presents situations that are ambiguous and have no clear-cut solutions. We got to be honest about it. We might think that the world is a place of absolutes, but the truth is that there is more gray than black or white. We can't just look, uh, we can just look around, rather, the various issues that cause divides in the world. Uh, and even among those who are in, in the household of faith. This is why as we draw closer and closer to God, and as we allow God's spirit to transform our lives from the inside out, we are able to better understand what God deems pleasing, good, and perfect. We can recognize even more clearly what it is that God requires of us as members of the divine family. And while uh, we may not have all the answers to every nuance of every problem that is presented to us, uh, we can live our lives recognizing the truth of who God is. We can live our lives seeking to please God and to lift up God by the way we treat one another. When we manage our minds rightly, we develop a God-conscious discernment that causes us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, knowing that God will lead and direct our paths. God-conscious discernment says this, that the Lord uh, is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He's with me in the green pastures. He's with me uh, in the valley of the shadow of the death. Uh, and he's with me uh, when my enemies surround, surround me. God conscious discernment says, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And God will take care of everything else that we need. God conscious discernment says uh, that we can fight the giant with our slingshot. That we can go into battle with our 300 and that we can step out of the boat into the chaotic waters of the storm. Proper mind management will help us to recognize uh, and be able to discern and recognize that the weapons might form against us, but they won't prosper. And that nothing that is impossible with God. And when we allow the Spirit of God and the love of God and the power of God to help us to manage our minds, we can overcome the trauma. Uh, we can defeat the depression. We can heal from our hurts. And as we do it, we are being conformed into the image of the one whose mindset was able to make him make whose mindset was rather uh, to make himself nothing by coming down from glory and becoming a servant who was obedient all the way to a hill called Calvary. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one that because he managed his mind that at his name, you know his name, you ought to type his name in the comments at the name of Jesus that every knee on earth would bow, every tongue would confessed that he is Lord to the glory of God our Father. And because we have a, a, a we have a picture of what it looks like to properly manage our minds as we go through the ups and downs and the daily routines of a life in Jesus Christ. We have a picture of it but through Jesus we know that a right mind helps us to love sincerely. We know that when we manage our minds we learn to hate what is evil and to hold on what is good. When we manage manage our minds rightly. We can be devoted to one another in a love. When we manage our minds rightly, we can honor one another above our own selves. When we manage our minds rightly, even when it gets hard, even when it feels dry, even when the Lord feels afar off, we can keep our spiritual fervor as we serve the Lord. If we manage our minds rightly, we can be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We can practice hospitality. When we manage our minds right, we can bless those who persecute us. We can bless those who talk about us. We can bless those who are plotting against us, plotting for our downfall. We can still bless them in Jesus' name. We can live in harmony. When we manage our minds right, it doesn't matter who we hang out with. We can hang out with the least, the lost, the left out, and the looked over. We can hang out with the princes and the kings and those who are the paupers of society. When we manage our minds right, we can learn to serve faithfully, to commit to the work that God has placed in our hands. But we've got to manage our minds right. So our prayer today ought to be, God, help me manage my mind so that your power can be at work in me and so that you can get glory out of, out of my life. And if that's your prayer today, you ought to type it in the comments. No hands lifted today. I just want you uh, in your heart and in your mind to type, I'm going to manage my mind right. I'm going to manage it the way that the Lord has called me to manage it. I'm going to walk in the way the Lord has called me to walk, but I'm going to start it with my mind. I'm going to let God have my thoughts. I'm going to let God have my dreams. I'm going to let God have my desires so that God can get the glory out of my life. Yeah, we've got to manage our minds right. We want the power of God to be at work within us. 
We want the Spirit of God to make its impression so that the power of God can have its proper expression in our lives. That we've got to start with managing our minds, with thinking the thoughts that God has for us. Because you know what they say, thoughts become behaviors. Behaviors become actions. Behaviors become habits. If we want to change what we're doing, we've got to start here and manage our minds. Come on, won't you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the challenge from this text to manage our minds, to get our minds in alignment with you. God, that for every challenge, for every situation that comes about, God, that we don't allow the circumstances to control us. We don't allow our emotions to control us. That as we control our minds, as we control our thought life, as we control what happens, and we lay our and we decide each and every day to lay our ourselves on the altar of sacrifice, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you. God, it's our prayer that you would lead us and that you would guide us along the way. God, we pray now, God, that you would help us this week, help us this year to manage our minds so that your power can work in us and so that you can get the glory out of our lives. Now, God, we pray for some man, woman, boy, or girl who may be watching this right now who knows that they, they need some help managing their minds. And they recognize today that your spirit has been calling them to say yes unto Jesus so that, we can, so that they can receive the power of the spirit, so that they can have the example of Jesus Christ to lead them and to guide them into how to manage their lives and to manage their minds in a way that glorifies you, God, one who needs to be saved. One who needs to be saved by your son, Jesus Christ, today. We pray that they would say yes unto you. One who needs to rededicate themselves, who needs to reclaim the power to manage their minds for your glory. God, we pray that they would say yes unto you today. And one who desires to partner their lives with TMCBC as we work together to allow your power to be at work within us individually and as a church. God, that they want to partner and walk with us in this journey, God. We pray, God, that they would say yes to your call unto them today. God, we thank you, we honor you, we love you, and we praise you. It's in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen, amen, and amen, amen.